Turn to Numbers chapter 6. So uh, this was a suggestion, and uh, I didn't really know a lot about uh, uh, this subject, um, but it was good fun, really good fun doing research on it. So the title of the talk is, and there's a reason I've worded it this way, The Nazarite and the Vow. Okay? The Nazarite and the Vow. So Numbers chapter 6 to introduce this whole Nazarite thing. And um, we know that Jesus Christ was from Nazareth. Um, he was a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth. Uh, Nazarite is something different to someone being from Nazareth. Uh, I remember when I first came to the Lord, I got confused over that one. So I just thought I'd make that clear. So we'll read about the Nazarite here in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. Okay, that's a key verse there. Um, verse 3, He shall separate himself. From wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried, all the days of his separation. Shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk? All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled, right? So there's an ending. Uh, there's a start of when you make these people made this vow to be a Nazarite, to separate themselves, and then there was an ending when the days are fulfilled. In the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, which means separate, and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. So everyone around him will know, or her, will recognise, should recognise that they are a, a Nazarite, having long hair, and have a regard for them. Say, OK, they've made a vow of a Nazarite. I'm not going to press them to drink strong drink, vinegar or anything, but they've got a vow with the Lord um, and for them to, to fulfil that vow. Um, allow, uh, verse 6. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father, or for his mother, or for his brother, or for his sister, when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation is holy unto the Lord. And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration. Then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall, shave, shall he shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtles, or turtle doves, or two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and make an atonement for him, for that he sinned by the dead and shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation, and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering, 
but the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. So all that work he did in separating himself under the Lord and living as a Nazarite have been deleted. Uh, Verse 13, and this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, okay, and it hasn't been cut short by uh, touching a dead body, he shall be brought unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And there's sacrifices that go through there. I won't read them, but jump down to uh, verse 18. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall take the hair of the head of his separation and put it in the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. Now, has anybody here burnt hair before? Uh, uh. The Lord asked them to do it. Verse 19. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer, and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. This is holy for the priest, with the wave breast and the wave shoulder, and after that the Nazarite may drink wine. So his days have been fulfilled. Okay, This is the law of the Nazarite who hath vowed, And of his offering unto the Lord for his separation, beside that that his hand shall get, according to the vow which he vowed. So he must do after the law of his separation. So this was implemented when um, the nation of Israel were wandering through the wilderness and there was this aspect of becoming a Nazarite. Okay? Um, And... As we read many times in that passage, the the Nazarite was separate, separate unto the Lord, leading a separate life, you know, um, um, abstaining from the the things of other, the -the run-of-the-mill people, just focusing on the things of the Lord and separating. And uh, and those aspects, you know, not drinking strong drink or anything of the grape and growing the hair was... uh, were those important aspects of it. Um, There are examples in the Bible, clear examples of people who lived as a Nazarite. So we'll go to uh, Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. And verse 1. Judges chapter 13. And verse 1. Actually, I think this is the only clear example of someone leading his life as a Nazarite in the Old Testament. Uh, Judges 13 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son." And no razor 
shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So here's a person who's promised to deliver Israel. And right from birth, he has to be a Nazarite. Um, so it's, it's quite a unique situation and a unique person. And we'll go down to uh, verse 24. Uh, and the woman bare a son, a miracle, and called his name Samson. So this bloke called Samson was a Nazarite and he was required to live as a Nazarite his whole life. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtahol. And it's a very well-known story, the story of Samson. But he was ordained by God to live as a Nazarite his whole life. And through him, the Lord blessed the nation of Israel and he judged the nation of Israel uh, until his death. But go to uh, Lamentations chapter 4. Uh, that's just after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations was written by Jeremiah uh, where he laments the loss of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel was scattered. Um, but we read here Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 7. Just one verse. Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 7. Her being the nation of Israel... Her Nazarites were purer than snow, they were whiter than milk, they were more ruddy in body than rubies, their polishing was of sapphire. So it's writing here in the past, the nation of Israel, in the nation of Israel there were Nazarites who uh, took the vow of a Nazarite uh, through to fulfilment and they were pure and whiter than milk and they were just beautiful in the eyes of the Lord because of the way they governed themselves, right? The way they led their life. They actually separated properly and fulfilled the law of the Nazarite. But what here I read also is that Nazarites were a common thing, okay? It wasn't just Samson who was a Nazarite in the history of Israel. There were Nazarites, plural, wandering around, common people who decided, hey, I'm going to take the vow of a Nazarite and live separate unto the Lord. It was a well-known thing, leading the life of a Nazarite as an option and the law of the Nazarite, okay? And that's something we, can, we often miss when we read the scriptures is things that uh, see that different to uh, the way we lead our life, you know, uh, the light, Nazarite, you think, oh, that's really super rare and special. You only read one example in the Old Testament being Samson, but... It was well known, okay? Plural Nazarites, and, uh, and people knew about it. Over to Luke chapter 1, another Nazarite. I hope some people know where, who I'm talking about. Luke chapter 1. So this is still in Old Testament times. This is still in a time when people are living under the law. So there may well be at this time people who decided to take the um, vow of a Nazarite as well and they're wandering around with long hair and they're not touching anything of grapes um, or dead people, anything dead. Um, and so Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. 
There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking in all the commandments excuse me, and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, that was his, his turn, to do that, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Great promise there and saying that he will have nothing to do with wine or strong drink. Uh, A hint that he will be a Nazarite separate. And he actually says here that he'll be filled with the Holy Ghost right from birth. Jump to verse 65. Verse 65, um, and this is after John was born, okay? There was this uh, in- interesting scenario where Zechariah was forbidden to speak during the, um, the pregnancy, and then when he was born, he spoke. And, uh, and then we get to uh, verse 65, and it says, And fear came on all that dwelt round about them, Okay? And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. So a well-known thing happened. Well-known. And it says here in verse 66, And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. You know, uh, people are gobsmacked. Something special is happening with this child that's born. You know, Samson was special, but then we've got this special child who was John the Baptist. What manner of child will he be uh, with the, these, uh, these things happening uh, as a result of his birth? And he, then he lived his life separate, as we know. He lived his life in, the, in a desert place, uh, wearing um, camel skins and eating locusts and honey and not touching anything uh, of the vine. Uh, he baptised Jesus Christ himself. He lived as a Nazarite. Back to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 26. Matthew 26 and verse 26. Um, 
Matthew 26 and verse 26. Yep, here we go. Um, And it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is a little hint here that Jesus Christ had separated himself. He's the son of God uh, and he lived his life as a Nazarite as well. He didn't drink anything of the fruit of the vine But it says there, until I drink it new, until it's that spiritual fruit of the vine. You know, that that glorious time when we're all spiritual beings. So we've got three examples of uh, Samson, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, who lived like a Nazarite, um, separate. And also, um, it makes sense to conclude or surmise that Jesus' followers would have understood that Jesus had the vow of a Nazarite. You know, um, okay, he's a bloke who's living like a Nazarite, I'll respect that, you know, uh, because it, it wasn't uh, overly uncommon. Um, there's someone else who's taken the vow of a Nazarite, Acts chapter 18, we read this on Wednesday. So this is after the Holy Ghost was poured out. The Holy Ghost is dwelling within a people at this stage. So this is New Testament time. The old law has been fulfilled. Right? So it doesn't actually make sense to, uh, to live as a Nazarite when filled with the Holy Spirit. But as has become quite clear as we're moving our way through the book of Acts, there's this overlapping period where you have people living in the Old Testament, sacrificing, leading their lives in the traditional way, uh, Moses' law and Moses' commandments, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's this time where it's taking a while for things to drop off of the uh, Moses' commandments. Today, we're way beyond it. Way, but there's no temple. I mean, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There's, there's been no temple rebuilt since then where people can sacrifice to God because the tabernacle is within men. So up until 70 AD, there's this overlap. And so people are still taking the vow of a Nazarite. And we get to uh, Acts chapter 18, and just to put into context of where it's happening... Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So he travelled from Athens, which is in Greece, to Corinth, which is in Greece, which is where, of course, the Corinthian church, and there was an amazing outreach, amazing revival, the start of the Corinthian church. We get to verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. He stayed in Corinth quite a while uh, to be with the, uh, the new church, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sencrea, for he had a vow. 
and he came to Ephesus, right? So then he went to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So Paul took the vow of a Nazarite, says there, and as we read in Numbers chapter 6, when you fulfil that vow, you shave your head. He probably even made sacrifices as well, even though he didn't have to uh, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he was, there was this overlap thing happening. Over to Acts chapter 21. And this also highlights, I believe, how common it was, uh, people taking the vow of a Nazarite, because, uh, well, we'll read it in Acts chapter 21 and verse 17. Acts chapter 21 and verse 17. And when we were come to Jerusalem, after a long trip uh, to get to Jerusalem, uh, there was a few things that happened along the way. The brethren received us gladly. So this group of people that were travelling with Paul comes to Jerusalem and the brethren, the spirit-filled people in Jerusalem, received them gladly. Okay? Verse 18. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders were present. That will include Peter and John and all those as well. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. He uh, news from a far country, you know, news of massive revival uh, that Paul had witnessed. And, uh, and then it says in verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou... Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Okay? So there's that mix-up. These Jews that believe, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, but they are also zealous to keep the law. (laughs) And then in verse 21, And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs, which is true. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Okay, so what's happened is in Jerusalem, uh, it's most uh, of the saints in Jerusalem would be Jews. Uh, who before they were filled with the Holy Spirit led their life as a Jew according to Moses' commandments. Where Paul has been doing his work, there's a mixture of Gentiles and Jews and we know that that, uh, that um, edict uh, coming from Jerusalem to the Gentiles saying, look, you don't need to be circumcised, just follow these um, guidelines and you'll be okay. And so there's news that's come back Uh, Paul is also encouraging the Jews um, up uh, up north uh, where he's been outreaching that they also don't need to be circumcised and they don't need to follow the law of Moses, which is true, okay? But it's causing a problem, you know, and uh, and what the, the brethren in Jerusalem are saying, well, hey, look, you're here now and we're worried it's going to cause a bit of an issue in the church, um, in fact, it uses there's thousands, many thousands of Jews. So there's a lot of people that it could cause a problem here in Jerusalem. 
Um, yeah, because, as it says in 22, for they will hear that thou art come. Because they'll hear that you're here. And, uh, and there, there will be problems. And it says in verse 23, Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. See, there's four. There's four more people that have a vow of a Nazarite. Okay? Um, so it's not uncommon. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that the offering should be offered for every one of them. Paul went along with it as a testimony instead of creating division. And when the seven days which is what we read in uh, number six as well, were almost ended. The Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. And we'll stop there. That's why, verse 28, that's why Paul went along with uh, purifying himself with these other Nazarites where they shaved their head, following up, because even before the eight days was up, word had spread around everywhere. And it's like that Paul, he is defiling the temple. He's doing the wrong thing according to Moses' law. It already caused a problem and yet he was doing the right thing. Imagine if he didn't do it. Imagine if they all came and pointed their finger at Paul and he refused to follow it. How much of a problem it would have created. But he went along with it and he, he could fight back and say, no, I haven't defiled this temple. I've done this, this and this as per the law. An amazing testimony. And as we know, being spirit-filled, he didn't actually have to do it. But it didn't matter. It was nothing. Okay? It was nothing. But if he didn't do it, it would have caused so much offence and, uh, and caused so much division that it just wasn't worth it. Okay? But also in here, it's amazing to read that there was actually, when Paul rocked up to Jerusalem, there were four other people that were living as a Nazarite. <laughs> so it was well known. Back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 23. I'm alluding to the other half of the title of this talk, which is The Nazarite and The Vow. So Deuteronomy 23. Is anybody too hot now? No, it's okay. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Um, 
Deuteronomy 23 and verse 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack, or thou shalt not be slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. So it's a very serious matter, a vow to the Lord. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee, if you actually see it through. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. When thou comest into thy neighbour's vineyard, when thou then thou mu- then thou mayest, oh, and no, I should have stopped at 23, whoops, sorry. So yeah, stopped at 23. This here is generally a vow, right? Um, it's not necessarily a, the vow of a Nazarite. Um, the vow of a Nazarite was specific, separating yourself for a period of time and you fulfil it. You don't uh, do the things that the Lord's asked you not to do and you let your hair grow. But there might be other vows. Now, I won't read them, but uh, you may know of Jephthah. He was a judge and he made a very rash vow where if the Lord, and when you look at Jephthah's history, he, he was obviously nervous and wasn't confident uh, with things. And so he made this vow that if the Lord delivered Israel in this battle, he will give his daughter to the Lord. Very rash. And... Um, well, indirectly, the first person that saw him and the first person that saw him was his daughter. And so as a result of that, his daughter was given to the temple and led her life in the temple. He had to see it through. That wasn't a vow of a Nazarite. Another vow was Hannah. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, she vowed that if she has a child, she will give him to the service of the Lord. And Samuel, an amazing prophet. Um, Also what happened, and this... It's kind of a hint that it was um, well-respected, uh, the, the vow aspect, was Absalom said to his dad, King David, and said, look, I made this vow to the Lord when we were fighting over in Syria. Will you let me go and fulfil it over there? Now, it was an excuse that Absalom used because he knew it was a weighty thing. You had to let someone um, fulfil their vow. So he, when he headed off uh, under the guise of fulfilling a vow, he brought an army together to overthrow his dad uh, in, the, um, in the kingdom. Another one in the book of Acts was there was a group of people who took a vow not to eat anything until Paul was killed. Okay, that was in Jerusalem and they took this vow um, and Paul... Uh, was told by his nephew, I think it was, uh, to get out of the city because these people have taken a vow. Uh, and it's a pretty serious vow that they took. Uh, they took a vow before the Lord, what uttered out of their lips. So this whole vow aspect was a big part of uh, following Moses' law as well. Now, uh, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1. 
Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. In other words, hurry up and get it off your head. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. But then it says here in verse 5, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So it's such a weighty matter, this whole vow in the old law. It's better off not doing it. You're free then. You're free. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time that thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. It ends up being a problem for yourself, a a burden. Just say, yes, I'll do it, or no, I won't do it. Is that correct? No. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, It's so common, you know, I I promise on my right hand or I promise on my mother's life, you know, people say that. Uh, But just say, yeah, (laughs) or no. That's what the Lord's saying. Be careful um, of that. And even James chapter 5, James chapter 5, we're free of trying to prove ourselves in that way. James chapter 5, James chapter 5, the anti-penultimate scripture, James chapter 5, just one verse here, verse 12, just to back it up. James chapter 5 and verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Okay? And so that's the evil that's referred to. Is like if you say, um, yes, I'll do it, and you don't, You'll condemn yourself. Oh, no. I said I'll do it. Oh. And, the op- and that's the evil that the Lord's taught. And the Lord wants us to be free of condemnation. So if you say you'll do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do it, don't do it. 
or whatever the scenario, whatever the question may be. It could be all sorts of things. And its reason is the Lord wants to protect us, okay, for us to be free of these burdens, right? So then, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that's kind of a little side or a footnote to the whole Nazarite, the vow of a Nazarite thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There is a New Testament version of the Nazarite, spiritual Nazarite. That's the, uh, the thing with the old law. It's a, it's a carnal, fleshly representation of spiritual things, a shadow of things to come, a schoolmaster to help us understand what it's like for us in the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. And what accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among you, among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. There's that word separate. That's the law of the Nazarite, to separate yourself. Okay? The Lord wants us to be separate. He wants us to be the spiritual Nazarite today. And our uh, commission, or whatever, oath, for want of a better word, of the Nazarite, is fulfilled when the Lord returns. Be a separate. And to finish up, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are kings, we are priests, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We're different. God has made us different. Peculiar we are that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So we are the modern New Testament spirit-filled Nazarite. The Lord has made us that way. The Lord has made us separate. We are uh, The spirit that's in us is so different to the spirit that's in the world. And uh, the Lord has ordained us that way and made us peculiar. We haven't made ourselves peculiar. The Lord's made us peculiar and asked us to be separate and to fulfil the vow of the Nazarite.